As you begin the sermon today, I wanted to start with a question. How many of you at some point in your life or presently wear either glasses or contact lenses? Okay, okay, I have a mostly blind audience today. I'm glad that you're here. Um, I, uh, I discovered when I was nine years old that I needed glasses. I was in a car accident and I thought that I had an eye injury because I couldn't, I couldn't read the letters. And then, the, and then my parents said, well, do you have a hard time seeing in school? I said, yeah, I just, that's why I sit in the front. And, and I discovered that I needed glasses. And so this is a picture of me not long after that. This is, uh, you know, some fun uh, glasses. Um, obviously, I was a lady killer at this point with that, uh, <laughs> with that look. Um, and so over the years, I wore glasses. In, in middle school, my, de- my vision started deteriorating. And so I had to wear these torture devices called gas permeable hard contact lenses. Oh, they were, they were the most painful. I got a groan from those even in the room who've worn them before. They were so painful, but they were the only thing that would stop my vision from getting worse. I wore those for like three years and I couldn't take any more. So I went back to glasses and then they started making soft contact lenses for my myopia and astigmatism. And I wore those for some time. I had some really fun hipster uh, black glasses. We won't discuss the facial hair attempt there. That's for another sermon. <laughs> But, but by the time I finished with grad school, my vision was 2400, which if you're looking right here is this far edge. So what that means is when I, look at, when I didn't have corrective lenses on, I would look at the chart, and if I didn't know it was an E, I wouldn't know it was an E. They call it two-finger, and what that means is that they would put their hand underneath the chart in the dark, and they'd hold up four fingers, and I'd think they were holding two. That's how blind I was. But um, about 15 years ago, I made a great friendship with a man who was the, one of the leading eye surgeons in Phoenix. And so seven years ago, he offered to implant permanent lenses in my eyes. The procedure is called Verisci. If you've ever had cataracts removed, you've had a similar procedure, except he didn't pull my lenses out. He just put new lenses on top of mine. And so today, seven years later, I can see 2015, which is down right here corrected. It's amazing. I can remember the very first day I woke up in the spring of 2011 after having my second eye done, and I looked across the room, and I could see the clock for the very first time without glasses, and it literally changed my life. And if you've had vision issues before, you know how important it is that you can see. And, and that experience in my journey from glasses to hard to soft contact lenses to eye surgery has reminded me that the lens through which I look at the world changes everything. And not just the lens in my eye, but the lens which I look through the world in general. You know, as followers of Jesus, we have a lens through which we see the world, and it's called the Bible. That we look at people and we interact with them through this lens, we look at our own experiences and the own events of our life, the thoughts and feelings we have, we look at them through the lens of the Bible, and we say, what do I do with this? How do I process this? And, and this week, as I went and saw that eye doctor again to get a checkup and to make sure my eyes are still working well and the surgery is still going well, I started thinking about the lens through which we look at people and relationships. And I became convicted of something, and it's our big idea this morning. I became convicted that, that God uses people to reach people. As we look at the lens of Scripture and look at the world, this seems to be the message that we get over and over again, that God wants to work in the, the lives of people, and throughout the Scriptures and throughout our lives, he uses people to reach people. He doesn't use magic. He doesn't, he doesn't use big, booming voices from the sky, but he uses people in the lives of other people to transform them. 
And you say, Scott, what does this have to do with the series we're in called More? Well, this series began because we recognize that so many of us begin the year and we're thinking about our desire for more this year, our desire for something different or new this year, or our desire for more in our life with God this year. And if you ever have had that desire, or maybe you have it right now, sometimes you're tempted to just think, well, I just need to read the Bible more, or I just need to pray more, or I just need to be at church more, and those things will lead to that sense of more. And those are all good things to do. I'm not going to discount any of them. But what I've found is that there's something else that God uses to lead us into more. And I want to talk to you about that today. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open up to the book of Matthew this morning. And sorry, it's the book of Mark. We're going to talk about Matthew, but it's the book of Mark chapter two, beginning in verse 13. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Mark is about three quarters of the way through the Bible. And Mark wasn't there for all of the life of Jesus, but he was there for a lot of it. And he, he wrote this biography based upon his experience and Peter's experience. Peter was one of the disciples. And in, in Mark chapter two, we learn about the man who later gets known as Matthew in this passage, we call him Levi. And in, in Mark two, verse 13, this is what we read. He, being Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, who we know as Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. He was a tax collector. And he said to Matthew, he said, follow me. And so Matthew rose and followed Jesus. And then later, as Matthew reclined at a table in his house, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with tax collectors and sinners, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Traditionally, this moment, this story is known as the Matthew party. Matthew's a tax collector, and in that day, he wasn't very highly valued. Coming up on tax season, most of us have the same opinion of tax collectors today. We just call them the IRS. And and Matthew was not looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for Matthew. And Jesus comes to Matthew and says, hey, come follow me. And he begins to be impacted by the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus. And like most of us do, when we meet somebody new who is fascinating or interesting or who we begin to enjoy, what do we do? We introduce them to our friends. We connect them to people we're already connected to. And in this passage, what we see is that that connection happens in a specific place. It happens in Matthew's house. It says, and as he reclined at a table in his house, Matthew's house, the tax collectors and sinners were there with Jesus at this party. The Bible wasn't originally written in English, if you didn't know. The Bible was originally written in Greek and in Hebrew. And the New Testament, this book right here, Mark, was written in Greek. And in Greek, the word for house is the word oikos. Oikos. Now, some of you hear the word oikos and you think John Stamos and Greek yogurt, but that's not this oikos. Oikos is my favorite kind of Greek yogurt. I can't have dairy, but I can have their Greek yogurt, and it's amazing. The vanilla flavor is the best. I have a bunch of it in my fridge at home. But the word oikos in this passage means literally Matthew's house. But like a lot of words... It doesn't just mean house, it's got other meanings. The word oikos means house, household, family, or extended family. It can mean any of those things. 
And throughout the New Testament, this word appears again and again in situations where people are connecting other people to Jesus, where God's using people to reach people. In the book of Mark, chapter 5, there's a man who is possessed by multiple demons. He calls himself Legion, he says, because we are many. It's a little bit creepy. And the demons get exercised out of him. They go jump into a bunch of pigs. Those pigs run into water and drown. Yes, this is in the Bible. It's Mark 5 if you want to read it later. Make a great movie one day. And, and the man says to Jesus, after he's been freed of these demons, I want to go with you. And Jesus, it says in Mark five nineteen, did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Again, the word home is the word oikos. Later on in the book of Luke, we hear about a vertically challenged man named Zacchaeus who climbs a sycamore tree to see Jesus. Jesus invites him to his own house for dinner. I mean, that's weird. Jesus doesn't invite him to his house. He goes, hey, I'm going to your house. You know, it's a little bit of a weird friend thing. But, but Jesus ends up at his house and Zacchaeus feels so convicted because he's a tax collector and he's been cheating people. And he tells Jesus, hey, I'm going to make it all right. I'm going to give all the money away. And in Luke 19.9, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. It's the word oikos, since he's also a son of Abraham. Again and again and again, we're seeing that, that when Jesus is involved in the life of someone, it isn't just their life that's changed, it's other people's lives that are changed. And then in the book of Acts, this is the reason why all of us are here today. If you're not Jewish, this is the reason why you're here. In Acts 11, a man named Cornelius, who's not a Jew, a Roman general, a centurion, he invites a man named Peter to come to his house. And when Peter shows up, he says, Peter, the reason I sent for you is an angel told me that you will declare to me a message by which I will be saved, me and all of my household. Household there is the word oikos. And in this passage, it isn't just his building house, and it isn't just Cornelius' extended family, his immediate family, it's his Household servants, his friends, and his extended family. Literally, the house is so full, Peter can barely get in. Each of these stories, and I've left some out, remind us of the truth that God uses people to reach people. You say, Scott, what does this have to do with me? If you're somebody this year that wants more in your life with God, reading the Bible will make a huge difference. Prayer will make a huge difference. Being more consistent and gathering together with other believers will make a big difference. But the one thing I found in my life which ignites my passion for God more than anything else is watching God use me to help someone discover him. Moments where I was used by God as broken and imperfect as I am to help someone take one step closer to changing their eternal destiny was like pouring gasoline on a fire. It happened one of the times in 2010, I went to work for Starbucks. And I thought I went there just to pay off debt and to provide for our family. But I got there and realized that I was the only follower of Jesus working in my store, about 18 or 20 employees. I for sure was the only pastor working in that Starbucks. Most of my coworkers there had never really had a meaningful relationship with a pastor. And so every day when I came into work and I put on my black apron, my green apron and my black polo and my khaki pants, 
and I went to, to make a bazillion extra caramel, caramel frappuccinos. I had a chance in front of my coworkers and how I treated them and how I treated our guests and how I did my job to live out my faith. And they were watching me. And over the next 15 months, we had conversation after conversation. For some of them, they hated the church, but they decided they liked me. Some of them hated pastors, but they decided they could trust me. One day on a Sunday night, I was preaching at my church, and I looked down, and there was six seats filled by my coworkers who came to hear me preach. And then at the end of that 15 months, uh, I got a full-time opportunity at my church, and I went on staff there full-time. And, and I can remember driving away from my Starbucks store for the, the last time, wondering, okay, God, what was, what was that all about? Did you use me there? Did I make any difference? And one week later, just two days before Easter, I got a text message on my phone from one of my coworkers, and she told me that another friend of hers, who I didn't even know and had never met, that night had prayed with her to begin a relationship with Jesus. Now, I wasn't there for that. I don't even know who that was. But I knew that God used me to help her get from where she was when I walked in that door as a new hire to being a follower of Jesus and living eternally with him. And I have to tell you, it was like fireworks were going off inside of me that day. I was so pumped. I was so excited. The same thing happened with my friend Byron when I was in college. And the same thing happened with my friend Tony when I was in grad school. And the same thing happened with my friend Michael when I got out of grad school. And there are others that I only played a small role and I don't know where they are today. But I know that God used me to help them take a step. And so today what I want to share with you is is simply a heart and a passion that God can use you. Someone as broken and imperfect and nervous as you to help someone take one step closer to changing their eternal destiny. And when you recognize that God can use you like that, that you can be a part of that, more won't even begin to describe what you feel inside. As a church for years, we've talked to you about the big three, the importance of gathering in worship, connecting in a group, and serving in your giftedness. We've said, hey, if you're going to be part of Cornerstone, this is what we're asking you to do. Well, today, we're expanding it from the big three to the big four. The fourth thing that we're going to ask you to do if you call Cornerstone home is we're going to ask you to engage in your circle. We're going to ask you to engage in your circle. We're going to ask you to recognize that God's placed you in a circle of relationships like James Brown talked about. We didn't even plan that in the video we just showed. And that God put you there for you to engage them and for God to use you in their life. And so this morning in the time that I have left, I want to share with you what I think God's plan is for us to engage people. And I believe he wants to use you in ways that go beyond your imagination. The first part of God's plan for us to engage is that God has placed us in relationships. Each of us have been placed in relationships. And some of us don't recognize this. We think that our relationships are purely by accident. But what you need to know is that God places people in our lives never on accident. The people in your life are not there by accident. They're not there by happenstance. They're there for a reason. And you've been placed in those relationships in ways that you can't even comprehend for God to do things that go beyond your imagination. 
This doesn't have to do with someone coming to faith, but I just want to tell you a little bit of a story about how I got here to Cornerstone in Prescott. In 2013, I met a man named Jason Whalen. Jason came to be my pastor at the church I was a part of in Phoenix. We became close friends. He elevated my role and really gave me new responsibility and new leadership. About six months later, Jason and I went to lunch with Jason's friend named Ted Wiesty. Jason and Ted got a seminary together, and Ted and I were serving in the same role in two different churches in Phoenix, and he said, hey, you guys should be friends. You guys would get along, and you guys could help each other, and you guys just see the world in, in similar ways. Ted had recently joined the staff of a church where they had a really creative worship pastor, and he said, Scott, you would love this guy. You should be his friend. You guys could collaborate on projects. His name was Justin Unger. Some of you see where this is going. Justin and I became friends. We began to have you know, really expensive coffee and, uh, and tacos together. And over time, Justin introduced me to he and Ted's lead pastor, a guy named Kent Delhuse. And one Sunday, Justin was here leading for Jamie, and he began talking to Pastor Clovis, who's our executive pastor, and to Jamie about our, our search for a new pastor here at Cornerstone. And, and Justin said, well, me and Kent have a company that helps people find new pastors and new leaders for their church. And so Justin and Kent introduced me to Jamie and Clovis and Dave Richards, who was leading the search, and ultimately that's how I ended up here. Now, some of you go, that's, that's just totally random, Scott, and I know that that's just totally God, because you have stories like that, where you knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody that opened an opportunity that changed your life. Some of you, this is the story of how you came to faith. You met somebody who introduced you to somebody who introduced you to somebody who introduced you to somebody and that person is the person who prayed with you to receive Christ and this person doesn't even remember you. But you wouldn't have gotten here without them. See, God places us in relationships for purposes that go beyond our imagination and each of us are in a circle of relationships. You and I have people that we live work, study, and play with. And we're in their lives every single week. Some of us every single day. And the people who are in your circle, the people you live, work, study, and play with are unique to you. You're connected to them, but I'm not. And God's using you in that circle in ways that you don't even realize. And he's capable of doing things through you that you can't even comprehend. And two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that outside of the Bible, relationships are the primary method God uses to transform us. And it isn't just transform us to make us stronger and more mature followers of Jesus. He uses the relationships we have with people outside of our faith to transform us and transform them. See, God uses people to reach people, and he wants to use you in the places where he's placed you. That's the first part. God places us in relationship. The second part of God's plan is that God's placed us in relationships supernaturally and strategically. We're in those relationships by supernatural providence and for strategic purposes. You say, Scott, what do you mean? Well, one of the things that that I want to share with you this morning is that I believe that a lot of us have heard this phrase before Everything God does is on purpose and for a purpose. You look at your life and go, man, I just see God's purposes in my life. He doesn't do anything by accident and everything he does is on purpose and he's working out purposes in it. And we see that in our lives, 
But we often don't see that in our relationships, that God is working on purpose in our relationships, that he's put us in them for a purpose and for a reason. One of the things I've said to you, and I'm going to keep saying it until some of us believe it, is that there are people who are far from God, but close to us. There's people in your circle where you live, work, study, and play who would never come to Cornerstone. They'd never come. They'd never accept an invite. But guess what? You had lunch with them this week. They went to Cornerstone. They just don't even know it. Because church isn't a place you go, it's who you know. And God wants to use you where he's placed you. And there's people that if I showed up and they figured out I was a pastor, they would leave the restaurant. But they sat there and had lunch with you. And we've heard stories over the last month. We've heard stories from people like Terry and Chris and Emily who've talked to us about how God worked in their life to transform them. And in every story, they told us about people. Terry was struggling to have hope. And what happened? A person called him and said, I want you to come to church with me and find some hope. Chris moved to Prescott and was looking to find sobriety and some people invested in him. And God used those people to break down walls of pride and to transform his character. Emily shared that she had tons of relationships, but they were all walls. And God used people to break down those walls to transform her life. Just by a show of hands in the room, this is a little bit of an interactive message with hands raising. How many of you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus or have a relationship with God? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. Second question. How many of you could name someone who God used to help you get that relationship with God. Raise your hand. Keep your hands up. Look around. Okay? You wouldn't be here without people. It wasn't you and a Bible in a desert by yourself discovering all these great truths about God. It was somebody or somebody's who helped you get here. And the same thing they did for you, you can do for somebody else. See, think about it. Where would you be without those people? Would you still be addicted to that thing? Would you still be in that marriage? Would you be alive today? Would you be bankrupt Would you even be in Prescott? I mean, think about it. With the people God's placed in your life, where would you be without them? Now flip it around. There are people in your life that God wants to do the exact same thing in. And here's our conviction, that nearly every testimony involves another person. All of you who raised your hand, that's your story. Your testimony involves other people and now the opportunity God's putting in front of you is for you to be one of those people for them. And you go, Scott, I'm not ready. No, I've, I've, got, I've got too many problems. I've got too many hangups. I'm not perfect. The people who helped you get here, were they Mother Teresa? No, they were just as imperfect and broken as you are. And yet God used them in your life. 
And he can do the same thing through you. So we believe that God places us in relationships supernaturally and strategically for what purpose? Number three, so we can help people take their next steps. So we can help people take their next steps. That's why God puts us in those relationships. My wife and I have a little mantra that we say in our house that everybody has a story if you'll stop long enough to listen. Everybody you meet has a story if you'll stop long enough to listen. I was sitting in that doctor's office this week in Phoenix and I was wearing my Cardinals hat because they're my team. And the guy across from me was about 30 years older than me. He was there to get a checkup after his cataract surgery. And, um, and he started talking to me about how he's from Providence, Rhode Island and how he's a Patriots fan. I kept talking to him even though I hate those guys. <laughs> And he started sharing a story about how he ended up in Phoenix and, and the differences between Arizona and Providence. He started talking about places he's visited and places he should visit. And, you know, he's like, where, where are you from? I said, well, I was born in Las Vegas. He's like, I've never been there before. And so we started talking about Las Vegas and end up on this whole conversation. And then they call me back and I walked away and I go, what was that? I mean, it wasn't like the guy was a talker. I mean, he started talking and he stuttered to get the first sentence out. I could tell he was scared to talk to me. But he had a story. And if I put my phone down from scrolling Facebook and Instagram long enough, I heard it. And everybody you meet is the same way. So many of us, we go online and we see people oversharing on Facebook, you know. And what do we do? We judge them. I've met so many people who overshare online because they have nobody to talk to. Because they're profoundly lonely. And they overshare online because they literally have nobody else to tell. Do you want to know what the two biggest problems university administrators are facing today in America? Depression and loneliness in their students. The biggest problem university administrators are facing in America are depression and loneliness. Because there's scientific research that says if you spend hours and hours scrolling this, it will make you less happy, not more happy. It'll make you less connected, not more connected by merely scrolling and comparing your life to them. And so we believe that everyone we encounter is someone who was created by God, loved by God, has a story to tell, and we can be used to help them take a next step. There was a matrix that came out a few years ago to represent where people are at when it comes to faith called the gray matrix. And it says that people live on two spectrums, closed off to faith and open to faith with no knowledge and spiritual awareness. And everyone you meet is somewhere on this spectrum. You have some friends like I do that if you even say the word Jesus, they slap you. They're completely closed. And then you have people that are just totally open. They love having spiritual conversations. Some people, you know, literally um, are like a guy I know named Mark, whose name comes from the Bible. And his dad didn't know that. His dad hated the Bible. And they named his son, his older brother, Matthew. And he's like, I'm never naming my son another name from the Bible. And he named him Mark. They literally didn't know that Mark was in the Bible, like right after it. <laughs> Some people in your life literally have no knowledge of, of God or the Bible. And some people, you know, have tons of spiritual awareness. 
And all of our friends are somewhere on this spectrum. And some of us feel like, because of that, that our job is to get them from slap you if you say Jesus to singing Amazing Grace. Some of us think our job is to get somebody from not knowing that Mark is in the Bible to being able to pass a Bible quiz. And so when we don't get them all the way there, we feel like an absolute failure. And I'm not sure that's what God's called all of us to do. I think every person needs a Jesus follower in their life so that they can help them take their next step. Sometimes you're just in somebody's life to help them move from closed to a little bit more open. Like, I hate the church, but I like you. I'm not sure about church, but yours sounds pretty good. Oh, Mark is in the Bible? Oh, the Bible has some stuff to tell me about my marriage or, or how to get out of debt or, or how I can have healthy relationships or how I can parent my kid through their teenage years? Sometimes all God wants to do through us in someone's life is help them take one step because there are other people who are followers of Jesus in their life who will help them take other steps. And some of us are condemning ourselves and feeling like failures when we're actually successes. We're doing what God put us in their life to do. And the reason why I believe that that every person needs a follower of Jesus in their life, because they're not going to be able to take that step without help. We live at a time in the world today where the, the church is known for what it's against. Most people that you know who aren't followers of Jesus could, could rattle off the things the church is against. As a church, we want to be known for what we're for. That we're for people. As a church in this city, we want to be known that we're for Prescott. And we want to be known that we're for the world. And this morning, we're going to share with you via video the story of a young man in our church who really embodies what we've been talking about this morning. He couldn't be here today, but his name is Isaac Peterson. So watch the screens. I'm here with Isaac Peterson. Isaac and his family have attended Cornerstone for several years. And Isaac is part of our student ministry that meets in our roster campus on Wednesday evenings. And I'm going to be chatting with Isaac uh, about some relationships that he has and some places where he's engaging the people in his circle. Um, Isaac, you uh, work at, uh, I think it's a restaurant. And we were chatting a couple weeks ago about the people that you're engaging there and what that's been like. Why don't you tell the people a little bit about, um, you know, where you're engaging people? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I've, as you said, I've worked in uh, the food industry at a restaurant for about a year now, maybe a little bit more, and I, I and that's opened up a lot of really cool relationships there. Um, I have had the opportunity to meet uh, people from uh, that I've worked with from uh, about my from all walks of life, and um, all of them about my own age. God has really opened a door there uh, for some work, some missions work here in my own life, in my own schedule every every week um, that I that I clock in. I enter the missions field that God's really placed me in, and I've had uh, the opportunity to be on some missions trips before and go on missions trips before. And, uh, so I feel like that really, that really, um, has kind of prepared me in some ways. 
Isaac, you went with Cornerstone in the summer of 2016 to Zambia on a mission trip with us. And then in the fall of 2017, you went on fall break to South Texas to do uh, hurricane relief there. And so you've gone to the other side of the world and the other side of the country to engage people. How have those experiences impacted how you engage here and how do you see those being connected? I was already well established in my job and I feel like uh, my job helped ready me because of uh, how I was able to, I was already familiar with being open with people who I may not have known, known, known as well about my faith and um, the trip then in turn later helped me by realizing that underneath some uh, sometimes underneath hard shells and underneath uh, walls that people put up, they really are broken people. And it takes sometimes in like the case of uh, Lake Jackson, uh, Texas, it takes a hurricane to break down those walls. Now, we were talking last week, a couple weeks ago, about uh, uh, some of the challenges you faced at this job. Some of them, it's been some management turnover. You've had to deal with new bosses, good bosses and hard bosses. And there have been seasons where um, you've been really well-liked there and seasons where people have made fun of you there. It's been difficult to go to work. Um, We talked about how your faith influences the work that you do and how you work with your coworkers. Why don't you tell the people a little bit about that? Honestly, it would be very hard um, to cope without without Jesus Christ um, in me and and living and living through me, um, because honestly, I I go into trials and challenges which everyone faces at times in their lives, um, just with maybe people who don't uh, really care for you or people you don't really care for, <laughs> and uh, some people are hard to work with. Some people are great. One question, what would you say to everybody who's watching this to encourage them? Many of them, like you, are working in a job, uh, and there's people there that don't share their faith, um, and they're trying to do the same thing you're doing. What would you say to encourage them, even if they're two, three, four times as old as you are? Um, how would you encourage them? I guess that my, my, my final word um, of advice would be that you always, always listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and make sure that you are open to obey because once you open yourself up to the Holy Spirit, um, God will call you to do things that are uncomfortable, things you don't want to do, things that um, you may think are illogical, things that you may think, why on earth would I do that? I can safely say um, that I'm the only person at my work who, uh, who is a Christian. And that makes me sad um, sometimes, but Honestly, the truth is, is that I love all those guys. They and I think that working with them is awesome. Um, we get to have great conversations, um, and I think that it's important for us to uh, engage and be around people who don't share our beliefs, because that's how we are a missionary. Um, uh, we need a place to. Like a like a church or or a community group, um, where we can uh, come and have people, a, a fellow brothers and sisters, strengthen us. But if we have that strength 
um, God intended for us to then go into the world and be lights for him. I wish that um, God would turn their hearts like that and, and that they would come to Christ, absolutely. But I also realize that um, without um, meeting and uh, getting to know these guys who are not who are not Christians, and some of them are very uh, opposite of Christians, um, they would, I, I would never be an effective missionary across, across the ocean, across uh, the country. Um, so yeah, I'd say that I absolutely love working with those guys. So Isaac isn't perfect. I'm sure if his parents came up here right now, they would say he's far from perfect. But he's 17. And he's saying, every day I go into work and I clock in, and I don't clock in to do my job making food. I clock in to go on mission. And I said, man, Isaac, that's a message that people who are two and three and four years older than you need to hear. Because so many times we get caught up in our jobs and we think we're just there to do the job. And we forget that God's placed us there for a reason. And so this morning, I want to share with you some next steps about how you can put into practice some things you've just heard about from Isaac and I've been sharing this morning. These are on the back of your handout. The first step I want you to take today is I, I want to encourage you, and I've been doing this myself, to identify the people in your circle. Think through the places where you live and where you work and where you study and where you play. And, and we left you a space there. Try down, who are those people? Make a list. Who are the people that God's placed me in relationship with supernaturally and strategically to help them take a next step? Who are the people that God wants to use me to reach? And some of you, like me, you may have a moment where you realize that that, that list maybe is shorter than you'd like to admit. The gravitational pull in the life of an individual believer living in America, I believe, is to be further and further insulated from the world the longer you follow Jesus. The gravitational pull of churches in America today is to exist to serve people who are already Christians. And we have to fight that. We have to resist that. And so it may mean that you need to be more intentional with spending time with people who don't share your faith. Maybe it means they say to some of your Christian friends, hey, we have to hang out less in these spots so that I can be more engaged with people who are not followers of Jesus. Maybe it means that you decide that there's a place you like to go to get a latte and you go there every week at the same time so you can get to know that barista or a restaurant at the same time every week to get to know that waiter or that waitress and you leave a good tip because Christians are known as crappy tippers and that's wrong. Don't leave a track and then leave zero dollars. They're going to end up more on that closed end and on that open end because of it. For me, I realized that my list was shorter than I liked and so last week I started volunteering at Taylor Hicks Elementary from 3 to 5 p.m. in two of their after-school clubs. Do I have things that I could do in two hours of my schedule? Absolutely. Am I going to have to work harder to give up those two hours? Absolutely. But guess what? My list is shorter because I spend time as pastor of a church and I have to be intentional. And so I'm working with that teacher and those kids and I'm praying for them and I'm investing in them and I'm making my list longer. Number two, identify people on your list and pray for them every day. I would say, of course, Scott, you would say prayer. You are a pastor. Prayer works for everything, right? It's like Windex and Big Fat Greek Wedding. It just works for everything. But here's the thing. When you pray for someone consistently, it changes your heart. 
If you're bitter against someone and you start praying for them every day, it will be hard to remain bitter. And yeah, you're going to miss a Wednesday and a Thursday here and there. Don't beat yourself up because you missed a day. But continue to pray for them and allow God to change your heart and change your lens at how you view them. Number three, what would it mean for us to engage them on a consistent basis? Like I said earlier, maybe it's you've got a connection with them, but it's not consistent. How could you make it more consistent? How could you show up in their patterns more often? Because what I've learned is that influence only happens when we're consistent. And some of us are going to have to be more intentional at that engagement, showing up in their life consistently. Number four, when an opportunity comes up, invite them to church in authentic ways. I know not everybody has, has a personality that is just gregarious and out there. And so sometimes inviting somebody to church is terrifying. It's like speaking in public. But one of the reasons that we did this thing next week called Football Sunday is to right after this message, give you an opportunity to make an invitation. Now do it in whatever way works for you. And if for the person or this person on the list, person number three, if they hate football, don't invite them, you know, do it in authentic ways, but look for an opportunity to help them connect, whether it's through an invitation to church or through a spiritual conversation with you. And then number five, prepare to meet them where they are, not where you want them to be, not where you are, but where they are. Maybe they're going through a series, a season of grief and you go, hey, our church is launching a grief share class next month and we'd love for you to join it. We are, by the way. You can go out in the lobby and learn more about that at the belong table. Maybe, maybe they're going through a season where they're really angry and you just show up without any questions. Maybe they're going through a season of pain and you don't send them cliched Bible verses. You just listen because they have no one else to listen but be there for them and earn that right to share when they're ready. We believe that God uses people to reach people. And we just sang earlier that we live in a world that needs Jesus and we're God's plan A to reach that world. And by the way, there's no plan B. It's us and he can use us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the fact that each of us have people in our stories whether we're followers of Jesus or not, who have, have made an indelible imprint on our lives. So many of us, God, are here today because of other people. Somebody invited us. Somebody shared their faith with us. Somebody sat down and taught us about the Bible. Somebody prayed with us when we were going through a really difficult season in our family. Somebody reached out to us and we were in a dark place thinking dark thoughts and they, and they kept showing up and walked with us until we walked towards light, towards hope. And God, when we think about those people, it's hard to imagine our lives without them. And so we thank you for them. But God, I believe the message you spoke to my heart this week that I want to share with my friends today is that we can be those people for others. That we can walk with people and help them take their next steps. That in the same way you used other people to reach us, you can use us to reach them. And it's not enough for us to have a great church experience for us, God. These seats here in this room that are empty represent the people in our circles, Jesus, that you came and gave your life for. That you want to transform their life with your love and mercy and grace. So God, we pray that you would 
you would give us courage in the places where we feel afraid. You'd help us to be intentional in the places we've been unintentional. That we would see our world and other people through your lens. And that we would recognize that we're not where we are by accident, God. Thank you that you would give us the privilege of being in somebody's life for eternal purposes. And we pray for a year from now, five years from now, when we'll be able to share stories of how you used us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.